Malin Carroll. I have a bad Buffalo accent. <laughs> Mala Carroll. Mala Carroll. Yep. Mala Carroll. Mala Carroll. Nico, kill me. All right, Marky, episode 20. We got a true professional in the building. He is the voice of the Buffalo Bisons. He is a Canisius High School grad and a Syracuse grad. Pat Malacaro, welcome. Thanks for having me on, guys. This, this is fun. All right, Pat. Pat, uh, Delaware Daisy, we won't hold it against him. That's all right, though. We, we like the daisies. Yeah, well, we're in it. I don't want to hold it against them either. But, the, you know, when we played t-ball together, I don't know if you remember this. Oh, boy. Oh, man. <laughs> I was snubbed on the All-Star game, and I got the coach's award, and I remember you guys were all playing the All-Star game. <sighs> got cut from high school team, too. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I didn't play in high school, so <laughs> that was where my career ended. So you get into broadcasting mm-hmm. in Syracuse, Pat, and uh, how's that start? How are you influenced? How did that all go? I mean, it pretty much is all through high school. I, I, my aunt used to work for the Bisons back back when I was about to go into Canisius, and I just want a summer job. Like, you know, a lot of guys in South Buffalo, you know, the ticket takers, the rushers at the stadium, at the ballpark, you know, at the, at the odd at the time. So I thought it'd be a fun summer job. Like, you know, that's what people do, so I'll, I'll work there. And I couldn't do that, so I actually started working in the clubhouse instead, which – uh, I think it's a little bit better. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. lot more fun. So this was like a dream now. Yeah, like I, I sort of through working for the team decided, all right, I want to work in sports some way. Like you know, grew up playing t-ball or playing hockey at Cas. Like sports is just your life when you're a kid. So what better than to grow up and actually be involved in it? And you know, I decided, all right, maybe working in the clubhouse is. Look, those guys are the hardest workers in sports, and they do a great job. But maybe the clubhouse isn't for me. So. I'll, I'll go into broadcasting if I can make it work. Um, and I just stayed in touch with people at, at the ballpark. Our old broadcaster is in Cleveland now, Jim Rosenhaus. I entered with him for a couple of years and realized, all right, if I put in the work and put in the effort, I think this is something I could do. So it just kind of was something through high school that I learned I wanted to be involved in. And those four years helped me find my way to see my broadcasting is what I want to do in sports. That's great. Yeah. Who's, uh, who's on the team when you're, when you're in the clubhouse back then? Oh, that those were, jeez. Um, well, towards the end of my time was guys like Brandon Phillips, Cliff Lee. Um, there were a lot of guys down in rehab at the time. Well, a guy like Jake Westbrook was a starting pitcher who was an all-star. Um, man, there's just so many players. So this is out of Cleveland year. This is still Cleveland, like 99 to 2002. Just after the, the Bisons had won their second championship in a row, I started there. So, like, the manager was Eric Wedge when, when in my two years in the home side. Um a lot of great players throughout like both home and visiting side were guys that have been in the big leagues for 10, 15 years. I was before like Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins, some of those guys, but still guys that had big 10, 12-year careers. Oh, yeah. Now, Syracuse the first choice? Yeah. Yeah, Syracuse. Well, it was between Syracuse and Canisius College, but it came down to. Um, and, look, the history and the names that came out of Syracuse, it's one of those things where if you get the chance to go there, like you, you, I had to at least try it out and see if I'd like it or not, and and three and a half, four years later, finished up. It seems like a lot of the broadcasters in Buffalo, or Syracuse, Orangeman. Yeah, Channel Two uh, has a lot of of broadcasters. Jeremy White at WGR, where where I part time as well. He went to Syracuse, so there's a lot a lot of Syracuse guys, and there there used to be more. Now people's movement people move on to bigger markets, so yeah. that's the thing. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of us and a lot of people that maybe didn't stay in broadcasting that are now doing other things too. Liam McHugh? Was he Syracuse? Yeah. Syracuse graduate school, I believe. Graduate yeah, school, yes. Right. We yeah. had Liam on the show, big UB guy. So um, during Syracuse, 
Who are the big stars at, yeah, at the school? What's what, going what? on there then? Well, that, I, my freshman year was when Carmelo led the oh. Orangemen to the championship. So Not bad. that was a lot of fun. I mean, it's a great time. You're talking to a kid who, who lived through, you know, the four Super Bowl losses, 99 Stanley Cup loss. Yeah. And I'm just sitting in the carrier dome thinking, I think there, there's some way that they're going to lose this game. It's in New Orleans. Because you're here. Right. And if you remember, New Orleans was the spot where Keith Smart hit the three-pointer for Indiana yeah. to break Syracuse heart the last time they were in the Final Four in New Orleans. So I'm thinking – Oh, I'm, I'm the bad luck charm, and Syracuse is never going to win. But no, it was a lot of fun and, and a great time to be to be at school there. Oh man, <laughs> don't, don't, I've never. I'm ex- jealous. Yeah, I've never experienced a, a a campus atmosphere like that. You got a football team; they're not that great right now, but the basketball team was great. How is that walking around the campus? Is everybody talking about it? Yeah, I mean, I always felt like as soon as Syracuse got bounced from the tournament, it was like the school year was over. Right, because you had when I started, it was still Paul Pascaloni as a football coach, and they went to a bowl game my, I think sophomore year. So football was still pretty good. So you, you got that to carry you through for the fall, and then basketball starts up. You know, Big East, you know, growing up watching Big East basketball or now ACC, like you always had something every week to to look forward to, and people talk about in class, or you know, maybe if you have a Wednesday night game and you can get out of class early, you know, you stuff like that. But then once you know, like Syracuse lost to two days ago in the tournament, I've, if I was going back to campus now, I'd be like, what am I going to do with myself for the next month and <laughs> yeah, a half yeah, before right. finals end, right? What's the next move? We get the degree. Yep. And then where are we calling the Bisons immediately? No. So I actually, I graduated a little bit early because one of my, uh, back then, and, and it's, schools changed a lot now where sports journalism is its own curriculum for the most part. I mean, I, I'm not saying back when I went to school, but you know, this was, 2002 to 2006 sports journalism wasn't a refined curriculum so I took one sports journalism class I took a lot of journalism classes period but in my sports broadcasting class my teacher who's the uh, voice of the Syracuse Orange Matt Park he graduated early and that sort of planted the seed for me like hey if you graduate early maybe you can get a job working for short season baseball or maybe even a full season team because you know we our season uh, the bison season starts in under 2 weeks that's still during the, the last semester of college if i graduate early it gives me a step up on people didn't work but through that i reached out to every team in the new york penn league which is short season single a baseball they start in june and i sent my stuff to the gm in batavia because he said they've got someone but if anything falls through some of your stuff and Two years later, I think it was, uh, Dave Wellenzone, who's South Buffalo guy. Oh, yeah, he's he's on our radar. I talked <laughs> to Dave. Yeah. Dave's a great guy. He, he knew our clubhouse manager at, at the ballpark, Scott, and said, hey, I got this kid's resume. I got his CD. It says he worked at the ballpark. Do you know him? I said, yeah, give him a shot. And first year was 2008, and it was an unpaid internship. Um, and know that, knew that going in, I was going to be the number two guy, You know, call three, four innings a game do color commentary, just get an opportunity. And from there, I did two years as the main play-by-play guy in Batavia. And But then in 2010, because of my Bison connections, I knew that they were looking for guys here and there. So I just asked, hey, do you need anybody? So before our season in Batavia started in June, I did 10, 15 games with the Bisons, a uh, handful of innings, just getting some opportunities, some reps. And that turned into 50 games or even more in 11 and uh, this past year, 2018, was my first year full-time, but it was my, I think, ninth year overall working for the Bisons in, in the radio side. Wow, congratulations. Thanks. When you start, when you start there mm-hmm. at the Bisons, who's in the booth with you? 
it was me and uh, Justin Shanus was his name. He was so at the time he was just graduated from I think Miami University of Miami, and he was um, like a, a seasonal. He started with the team and he helped throughout the course of the year. Uh, Duke McGuire, who's my uh, I work with. Yeah, he's great. He he's awesome. He worked at, at a high school in Amherst, so he couldn't travel until the end of June. Well, they needed somebody to do fill-in work, and oh, so okay. Justin, just out of school, uh, he would be able to help the team with do that and be there f- the full year. So I worked with Justin for that first year, and then when he left, it was an opportunity to for me and another guy named Dave Wilson, uh, who helps us out a little bit, to sort of fill those gaps. Now, when you get into the booth for the first time, and there's something that's really bothering me, when people are saying now, did you get the feels did you get goosebumps? The feels, I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> but talk about your first time, we'll say the Bisons. Sure. In the booth. Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, it, there's there's no doubt that you're going to be a little nervous. Not because I didn't think I could do the job, and I don't want that to sound arrogant or egotistic, but like you get to that point, like somebody believes in you. Somebody thinks you can do the job. Yeah. So it's not like you, I don't think, think I could do it, but like here's a team I grew up listening to Pete Weber call games when I was a kid. Right. So this is something I've always enjoyed listening to. And now I'm a part of that. And that to me was the point like you sit back and you go at the end of the end of the first game is really it's like, whoa, I got a chance to do that. That was cool. But, you know, there's always nerves. And um, I, I got a chance to go down to Florida recently and, and do a couple spring training games for the Blue Jays. Oh, wow. You know, I'm more than 10 years in, into broadcasting. And even that first game, that first inning, when I knew I was going to be asked to do the starting lineups. It's still like, all right, what's the first word that's going to come out of my mouth? Yeah. Just don't say something stupid. Yeah. And you know, like so, <laughs> <laughs> we get the, we do it all the time, oh, right? <laughs> but it's like it's just that first jumping off point. And as soon as you get into it, as soon as I as soon as I started talking in whatever capacity it was, it's just like you know you're rolling and and it's natural. But it's that first moment when you're like, man, all right, it's time to do this. When hey, it's natural to be nervous. Is that what you do in broadcasting school? Is it like making like tapes of you doing broadcasts and yeah, things and that, like that? That's how it's so much different now, at least from my perspective, is you know, I, I wasn't a WAER guy necessarily, and WAER is the, the, the student run or student uh, station that students do all the uh, basketball and uh, football games on. So, like Mike Tirico, Bob Costas, a lot of the big names have, were football and basketball guys at, at school. I, because I got into it late, didn't get a chance to do that. So I didn't have the reps through that. So it was the sports broadcasting class where we sat in um, high school uh, bleachers for football games. And me and somebody else would have a tape recorder and we'd hand the mic back and forth as if we were calling a game together. Or, you know, sitting in the, the last row of the, of the Carrier Dome during the exhibition schedule and, and calling a game. So those, those are really the only tapes. That's what got me... Uh, and they were still CDs back then. That's a, how long ago it yeah. was. Uh, my CD from that opportunity got me the ability to do uh, Batavia stuff. And, and from there, it was just, you know, g- getting more reps in. And that's that was what they preached so much is just get do reps, get the chance to mm-hmm. call stuff because that's the only way you're going to get better. Yeah. And like we had Liam McHugh and he was saying like going from he was in Indiana doing like basketball and then he goes over to hockey and he's like you can't fake being a hockey guy was it it had to be baseball for you were you more most comfortable is that the world you're living in no you know what I, I feel like baseball is what I've, I've come to grow in, and I, I do love to uh, calling games for baseball but I grew up I really I loved hockey is that that's my first love for sports mm-hmm. but I've been involved in baseball for so long now that it just became 
uh, more natural for me. But I, I've tried my hand at, at a bunch of different ones. And, you know, Liam's right. It, with so much action going on, like, <laughs> I like calling hockey for the challenge of it. But th- there are some sports where not everybody can call uh, all the sports. That's why someone like Mike Tirico, to me, you know, he's done a couple hockey games this year. Yeah. How effortless he makes it uh, seem is the mark of somebody that just, I mean, the best at what they do. And, wow. he, and he does a great job on the Masters that's coming up. Oh, a yeah. Very good professional those first two days that's what you need to be and when he switched to nbc when he left espn to go to nbc i remember the first Ryder cup he did is when the u.s last won it uh and i just it felt like it was bigger it was more important because mike tarico was on the first tee on sunday at the Ryder cup and that's an event i I love watching yeah and it just felt like all right like the biggest name in sports broadcasting right now is at the first tee this just feels bigger Yeah. yeah He took over Costas' job. We'll get into that mm-hmm. in a little bit. Well, Marky, the Bisons open up at home against Scranton Wilkesbury April 4th. They're going to go all the way to April 10th to, against Pawtucket. So two, uh, four-game homestand and then a three-game. Pat, here's something I don't get about minor league baseball, especially in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Why do we start so early here? Yeah. It's a question I get a lot, and it's, yeah, I bet it, it's pretty much because of the major league schedule. And so what they what they do is they backdate from Labor Day because um, yeah, they have to end by a certain point. If if the season lasted till like the middle of of September, you know, we could start a couple weeks later. But they want there's a lot of other leagues like instructional baseball, and they want guys to have downtime or or if they're playing in in some of the uh, Caribbean winter leagues, you know, stuff like that. They need they need some time to I feel like you know, transition from one to another. So in order to have 140 games, it's best to backdate from Labor Day. And unfortunately, our that, weather sucks. Right. That means <laughs> like last year, our, our first road trip, we we're in Rochester. We didn't play a single, the, the team didn't play a single game in those three days because the tarp was frozen to the field. Who do you guys play though? That's out West. Could, could they do something with the schedule? Well, that's the thing. The, the, in the South is where it makes the most sense. Durham, Norfolk, Charlotte, Gwinnett. Those are f- the four southernmost cities. But the argument, I think, always comes back to, well, those cities don't want to lose opportunities of home games in July, July yeah. or August because they're going to draw a lot of fans in those months, too. So it's one of those things where, yeah, in a perfect world, either we'd start a couple weeks later or, you know, the schedule may be a little bit shorter and, and you have some more off days built in. So you start the second, maybe third week of April. But those southern teams and, and even out west with a team like uh, probably Louisville is a good example. They don't want to lose those dates either because they're not necessarily drawing as well in April, just like we're not. So to keep it fair, I think that's why this year, uh, at least for us, the Bisons are going to be in the division for the whole month. So I guess that's the, the compromise is you stay in the division. That way, if you have a bunch of postponements, it's not like last year where um, our, for our first homestand, five of the first seven games got postponed. And in minor league baseball, you can only play three double headers in a seven day window, I think it is. Really? Yeah. And so it was Indianapolis and Louisville that came to Buffalo for the first homestand. Well, that's that's the same pairing for a road trip that Buffalo made in July. Well, because of that, two games automatically got canceled from the schedule. And then they could only play. It was almost like a jigsaw puzzle figuring out, all right, well, they're going to get into town here so they can play one here, and then they can play two later on. It, was, it wasn't It was as if they played three doubleheaders in a row. It was scattered, and they had to sort of fit, fit it all into a puzzle because of, of, of how everything works out. One of the ideas I've heard before, is this is a little crazy, is you pick a, a city mm-hmm. that has a dome that doesn't have a team, 
and you throw six, seven, eight baseball games there, cold weather teams, see how they draw, and maybe if something goes south somewhere, you bring a minor league team to that city. That's one thing I've heard because I, I I've heard what you've said too. Yeah, I mean it's it's it, crazy though. It is. I mean, <laughs> you look. The Blue Jays have played uh, exhibition games in Montreal for the past, yeah. I think, five six years. Why don't we get those? <laughs> I mean, why don't we get exhibition games? You know. Well, now it's now it's a matter of um, I think if I remember correctly, it's all about the collective bargaining agreement oh, in okay. baseball, and you can only play them preseason so exhibition that's why i think nashville because this uh, there's a lot of teams that changed affiliations this year nashville and texas i think are playing in nashville but you know to, to your point about the weather in april the only time to do it would be in this week coming up leading okay. into the in the big league season so you know that's out the window because you know we got snow on the ground mm-hmm. today but could that mean that at some point you know does does a minor league affiliate play the Blue Jays in Toronto for exhibition games? I mean, could you do something like right. that? I, I don't know. I mean, to me, that's the only way that you you could mm-hmm. see like the Bisons, quote unquote, playing the Blue Jays is not inter squad games, but s- somewhat similar to that. Yeah, because yeah, Pittsburgh used to do it here, and Bonds used to sit in the stands, and I remember Mr. Kopois used to kick him out of the ballpark. <laughs> if you're not gonna play, get out. Yeah, those those games were so much fun. Weren't and they? actually, there was one uh, 2002. I want to say. The Bisons had one with the Indians, and I was still bat boy in that, and that was the last one that we've had here, and it's just so much fun, uh, you know, to have the big league guys in your ballpark for even just twelve hours. It just, it's a cool experience, and I know fans just, you know, the, the ballpark would sell out in a second if if you told yeah. us that, uh, you know, Marcus Stroman and, and the Blue Jays were coming down and, pl- and playing a game during the All Star break or something, you know. Yeah. But that's what Vlad, Vlad is doing now, right? right? I mean, he's he's drawing. Yeah, I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. <laughs> is uh is surefire a, a number one star in baseball as there is now and uh you know you can look to our schedule last august when there were 14 15 16 000 people a night yeah and uh, you know for the three of us who grew up with the ballpark at twenty thousand seats and the, the thought of maybe having the majors at some point that was the closest feeling i had mm-hmm. to this is a major league ballpark right now it just the ballpark has a buzz about it certain times a year and we had that for pretty much an entire month uh, when he was in buffalo last year well calling those homers man what's that like when you just see him fly man uh i mean you just sit back and you just get out of the way i mean it's the best thing you can do i think i called two of his six duke ended up calling the first three i think or first two or three and then then i got to call one and one on the road so um it's just one of those things where you know they're gone. You know they're out of. The, so you just you get your stuff out of the way as fast as you can, and you let the crowd just take over and and just let everyone feel that that excitement. I mean, I told you earlier, I haven't heard a sound like that when he hits the ball in a long, long time. The only thing I can think of off the top of my head was Jeff C. Barfield, mm-hmm. just because I I would go up to Toronto games. But that sounds dangerous. Like this guy, this isn't just. Uh, he's going to have a Tommy John surgery in two years. You'll never hear from him again. This guy's going to be around a while, isn't he? He is. And I guess the, the name that I'll, I'll throw out there is Manny Ramirez. Okay. Because yeah. Manny rehabbed with the Bisons at one point when I was a bat boy and it just sounded different. And the superstars, you're right. I mean, the ball just sounds like it comes off the bat differently. And even his base hits to the outfield, you feel like he had doubles that 
got turned into singles because the ball hit the wall so hard and so fast <laughs> and came back to the outfielder that he lost extra base hits because of it. So it's not just the home runs. It's it's how just how hard he hits ground balls, routine plays that maybe get through because it, they're just scolded so so well. And um, yeah, it's it's fun to watch him. And you know, it's always the all right. I'm, I hear he's doing these great things down at the lower levels, or you know, he, he hit over around 400 in New Hampshire. So uh, we'll see what he does here in AAA. And um, you just you, I was hoping that it would be the same way in Buffalo. And I mean, he exceeded, I think everyone's expectations of what, and he was still only 19. I mean, he's just turned 20. I know He's a 20 year old kid and he's, he's going to be uh, one of the big stars in baseball very soon. Is he going to stay the whole year? Or is it? Well, I, I, well, he's hurt right now. So I, I think the plan for him is to, to, to rehab down in Florida. And at that point, we don't know what's going to happen. I know the big thing has been a lot of talk this year about the service time clock and mm-hmm. you know, you can't, once you eclipse 172 days in the big leagues on the 182 day schedule, you accrue a year of service time. And, and that's something that is collectively bargained and teams have found a way to, you know, keep a guy in the minors. The the most recent one is Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, Eloy Jimenez was going to be one of those this year, except the White Sox just signed a contract. So um, teams have figured out ways uh, around it, both in good ways for players in ways that uh, players maybe might not like, but it's something that I hope to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. here this year. I, I, I hope just, you know, maybe even for just a homestand while he's rehabbing uh, his oblique injury, just because um, it's just so much fun, you know, selfishly yeah. to, see, to see that and to see the, the turnout of, of people to the ballpark. Be cool. But, like, then you have to think for yourself, too. Like, you, you've you done years of paying your dues, and now you're calling all the games. So that's what – obviously that's what you want, right? Yeah, I mean, you always want you – yeah. you want that big-time atmosphere. And I also appreciate the fact that, you know – not everyone gets this opportunity either. Not everyone is going to have a chance to have the number one player in baseball. Mm-hmm. We may never see a player, the number one prospect. I hope we do again in Buffalo, but this might be the only time we see a player of his caliber come through the minor leagues here. And I only have so many opportunities to see that. So I want to make the most of it um, so for cool. those reasons. Yeah, it's so cool. And not only do we have Vlad Guerrero, Guerrero on the Bisons, but we got two other big league kids uh Bichette's kid mm-hmm. and Biggio. Talk about them. It, it, those are they, they were the three-headed monster in, in New Hampshire at the start of last season. And I think everyone knew Vladdy would be the guy, but it's how would Bo Bichette and, and Kevin Biggio. And Kevin went to college. He played at Notre Dame uh, where Bo was drafted out of high school and, and came right out of high school into the Blue Jays organization. So Kevin's a little bit older, but you know how would those guys sort of uh, make their way in New Hampshire? And for, for Kevin, he was the rookie of the year in double A in the Eastern League last year. He was the league MVP. And Bo um, plays a very solid infield, uh, a solid hitter. So he was about as consistent, I think, uh, of a player last year. So to have those two and probably three guys here it's for, for some amount of time this year, I mean, that's it really goes to show you how, how well the Blue Jays' talent depth is right now. The, the system has been ranked uh, in the top 10 by – uh, pretty much every scouting uh, service around, you know, it depends who you talk to, whether you're third or sixth. But I mean, there's a lot of players that, that are now going to come through Buffalo that uh, have good bloodlines and they just, they, they play the game hard. They play it fast. And I think fans uh, really, if they, if they come out to a game this year are, are going to appreciate just, just how, um, how well they play the game. And you really have to sell it because the Bisons aren't on TV. The only way you could hear the Bisons, Pat Malcaro. 
<laughs> you got to paint the picture. Yeah, tell, yeah. exactly. Tell, tell us where we can find the Bisons on the dial. Yeah, so if you're in Western New York, it's ESPN 1520 AM locally. Um, you can also um, use uh, apps like the TuneIn app. We have a deal where TuneIn, you just type in uh, Buffalo Bisons or Bisons Baseball, and, and we're there. Um, Entercom now has an app called Radio.com. So if, if you use that for WGR, because we're a sister station of WGR, um, you already have the app, and you just type in WWKB or ESPN 1520, you can find it there. So, and that's one of the cool things too, I think is, you know, you might be able to listen locally in Buffalo, but in, sometimes you interact with the families of these players and you hear, oh, well, their parents are listening in from California. Or when I was down in Florida for spring training, there were people listening from New Zealand, Australia, I- England, you know, all over the world, people can listen to, to, to broadcasts of anything they want. Now, podcasts, everything mm-hmm. is available worldwide now. And I think that's something, too, that, you know, has just changed from when I started. Not that it wasn't available, but I think the the ease of, of access to, to broadcasts and to, and to just social media has expanded that, and, and it's made it that much better. And plus, you got to put butts in the seats. Yeah. That's why you're here. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, tell us uh, – what you know of the different things that are happening at the ballpark this year. Yeah, so that's a great great point you bring up. Like every game, the thing about the Bisons is we, we try and treat every game as its own individual entity. So whether you're coming out on a Friday night for a Friday night bash or you're a huge Star Wars fan and you come out for Star Wars night on, on June 8th, you know, you might only come out once a year. So we try and make it so that there's something going on every single day or night at the ballpark. Maybe it might be something small. Uh, just like a kids run the bases day for for kids on Sundays, but or maybe it's something as big as you know the Irish festival night or, or Polish festival night, Italian night, things like that. So there's a lot of different uh, events that have gone on. I think Star Wars is a great example. It's now into its twelfth or thirteenth year, I believe. Wow. And it started out as our front office. We have some Star Wars fans. We thought it'd be cool to not only have a Star Wars themed jersey because Star Wars was becoming a, a thing again, um, but why not? partner with a local group the northridge group who puts together uh their star wars actors so to speak and so like we put a script together our our team puts a script together oh yeah and it actually goes through the lucas ranch oh we had a guy on we had bobby whalen on okay yeah so you guys know oh we know yeah he he brought his group costume i mean it was so cool he's got trading cards right but the the fact (laughs) it's great it's awesome and like last last two years we've had job of the hut like a a life size yeah he was talking about it how they built it right it it, it's incredible so if you're a star wars fan we've got that night for you so there's there's things that have grown organically to me that's like my favorite night of the year i know july 3rd the bpo is you know it's a staple of of our calendar it's our 25th year of having that but Star Wars night and how much it's grown, it sells out every year. You see kids in the seats with their uh, laser swords, and you know they're, they're playing along to the, the on-field battle at the end of the night. It's things like that that, that minor league baseball really has taken advantage of. And, oh, yeah. and I think the Bisons, that's, that's our, one of our big, big babies every year, big projects that, that we do well. And we have a lot of stuff like that. And you, know, you can check it out all at bisons.com. That's, that's where we have all our info, ticket packs, you know, even just random, you know, markdown Mondays, things like that, where you can come into the ballpark and get reduced prices on food or drinks and stuff like that. So there's always opportunities to, to save. If you pay p- full price for a ticket, find different ways to save on like coming on a Monday or, or, you know, we pair with local groups where, um, you know, you might have a receipt from, from a restaurant that you're at and we do a markdown or maybe two for one tickets and stuff like that. So there's yeah. always ways for, for, 
for people to take advantage of of coming out to the ballpark. Yeah, Bob was saying the good relationship that the Bisons have with so many people, and it's like awesome. You and, know, it spreads everywhere. And that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, my, minor league baseball is different than the big leagues, and I think I honestly think that the big leagues has sort of learned a little bit from the minors. You see, like players' weekend where they wear special jerseys with yeah. names on the backs. Like these are things that. When have you ever thought about the Red Sox, or the Yankees? Like the Yankees, especially. Like you think of pinstripes. When do the Yankees wear different themed jerseys? You just yeah. it's something that never happened. Like they They're didn't too take, professional, right? Yeah. They didn't take part in turn ahead the clock night uh, promotion back in the like the late nineties when teams wore those funky style like cut off sleeves and what the future might look like of baseball. Like traditional teams didn't take part in stuff like that. But now, because of minor league baseball and how it's so community based and organized, and people really rally behind it. Major League Baseball, I really feel like, has taken sort of a page from the minor leagues playbook and and sort of introduced more more things like that. So that, look, you're going to a baseball game, it can be long, and for some people, it can it can be boring. And there's no denying that. But if you can engage people in a way that keeps them involved and interested, um, I think Major League Baseball has, has sort of taken that from the minors. Yeah. I, I like to go there and keep score sometimes. That that's yeah. awesome. I heard I, I, I heard there's a ticket that comes with a all you can eat buffet. You know? yeah. I don't know if I was just dreaming or what. No, but. At, at Consumers Pub at the Park, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's it, that's one of our changes for this year. Is there's a buffet this year, so maybe you already have a game ticket and you just want to come and have the buffet. You can do that, or you can buy your game ticket uh, and get the buffet. I think it's twenty nine dollars, and you know, come come have some wings and, and some and some good stuff. And I I'm pretty sure it also change. Uh, there'll be consistent items like wings and you know. Um, and the mac and cheese and stuff like that that always be on the menu. But I know Rob and Sean that, that run our uh, catering concessions, things like that, they want to keep it fresh too. So, like, if we're playing Pawtucket, is there something native to Pawtucket oh, yeah. that, that they can introduce? So, oh, that's good. Yeah, like the Simpsons when he starts eating the hot dog and he's like, these ingredients are from Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> the isotopes were moving, you know, yeah. it's big time stuff. So, I, I think I'm going to give the Bisons credit here. We got the Bills, mm-hmm. we got the Sabres, we got the Bisons. Probably in that order, mm-hmm. in my opinion. That's fair. Um, but I think the Bisons' experience is better than the, the Royals. You, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I, th- I think you guys are professional. Mm-hmm. You're fun and affordable. Like, me and the wife can go. Right. Me and the boys can go and get shit face on opening day. Or we could go see Strasburg when there's a big-time guy rehabbing. I think there's a lot of lot of room for you guys to get people in there. Well, and I think that goes to the point of, look, we, we understand where we are. We're not in the big league. So you have to find different ways to, to get people to the ballpark. And being affordable is one of them. Look, I think one of the things we pride ourselves on, we're affiliated with the Toronto Blue Jays. And, you know, being in Toronto means – things are more expensive. Um, so fans from Southern Ontario can buy a ticket package, you know, for the month of April, we, we make it yeah, that much better where Canadians at par. So if you want to come down to the ballpark and you want to spend, you know, you got 20 bucks and tickets, you get four tickets for 20 bucks. Southern Ontario is great for the Bisons. And, and so the fact that they can come down and, you know, spend, if they spend a hundred bucks, that probably means they bought their kid a hat or or some something in the gift shop, and the tickets weren't expensive, and they were able to have a couple of beers or or get their kid a you know some ice cream or, or something whatever they want, and you spend a hundred bucks. Hundred bucks doesn't go as far in the big leagues oh, in general. No. So I think that that is one thing that that as minor league baseball and, and as as one of the sports that 
um, needs to draw fans. That's that's one of the ways that we do it. And you know, it, it is it is affordable. And like I said, if if you pay full price for a ticket, maybe you know there we have ways that you don't have to pay full price. Or if you do, we have other things that you can take advantage of, like like the buffet or, or uh, something yeah, like right, that, yeah. where you, you you spend thirty bucks and and you're done for the day. You know, I, I think. The only thing I would change over there, and I'll talk to we've we've reached out to Butch and, and uh, Rich, so maybe one day. Where's the concerts? Everybody hates going to Art Park. Everybody hates going to Darien Lake. I think there's a I, is there a reason why we don't have more? Well, yeah. just speaking from myself personally, not not knowing the like logistics of yeah, it. Yeah, I, I do think some to some extent, like to, to have the field have ten thousand people. St- stand on the field for, you know, six, eight, ten times a summer. Yeah. It, it does ruin the field to some extent. We do the Taste of Country um, in, in June, and it, there have been times where it's actually in the middle of a homestand. So our crew would actually have to we play a game on Thursday afternoon, then they have less than 36 hours because the concert's Friday night. Basically, the second the game ends, they're starting to lay down everything they need to to make sure the field is covered so that, you know, if, if people are standing on the grass, it's not as bad as it, as it could be so the logistics of you know putting all, all the all that needs to be done onto the field so that the field is still playable um and in good condition i think is hard to do i um how's it look after the taste of country how's the field uh, it looks great to be honest they it, do a good job over there they do and now it's back to a, a situation where we're on the road so it gives everybody not just our people oh, but good. you know everybody that comes in to build the stage you know they they don't have less than 24 hours they now have maybe a couple days to get it in and then take it down and, and make sure that you know everything's put back to where it needs to be so i think just thinking about it i think logistically with with how the summer you know baseball's from april till september so uh, there's just not the opportunity because of all that would go into you know, 10,000, 15,000 people at the ballpark to, to be on the field. I think it, I think September would be great. Yeah. yeah maybe. September's, September's a good month. especially. You guys, way- you guys are done the second. Yep. It's uh, a long year. I, although I do hope there's playoffs. So. Okay, yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. Yeah, we had Chris Groves on, and he said, like, all the brewers in Buffalo are connected mm-hmm. and, like, uh, you know, all these things, like, are the – like, the – broadcasters and people on the radio all connected or like because i mean social media is such a big thing for mm-hmm. like having everybody as a group and passing things around and favoriting retweeting and circulating is that important and does that happen in buffalo oh absolutely i think you know just because you might work at a different i know i'm not in tv but if you work at a different station doesn't mean you can't you know be be friends and 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 get along well and i think when when everyone's doing well it's better for for business in general. Buffalo isn't isn't the number one market in the country. We've had a lot of guys stay here. F- yes, consistently. You know, we really haven't had much change over the local news mm-hmm. guys a lot, but you know, GR, WBN, right, yourself, and and, and you know, Entercom owns um, a lot of those properties. So you know, WBEN, WGR, um, Star, Kiss, we're all the same company. So we all know each other. Uh, we all get along, and um, you know, it, it, that's. I think it can be a business where you can. Be by yourself if you want to be, but it's better when everyone sort of works together. I think like the, the 11 day power play is a good example. Oh yeah. We've got a WGR team and, and I'm going to hopefully be on that team this year. And there's so many people that, you know, just, just want to be involved and want to, want to take advantage of that. And sure, there's thousands of people that, that, uh, you know, take part in it, but 
everyone's raising money for the same goal. So it's all about trying to, to work together. And, you know, our boss at WGR, Alan Davis, was one of the guys that played for 11 days straight. Um, oh, when, wow. Back when it started. Yeah, he was one of the 40 guys. <laughs> and I remember him mentioning to me, like, hey, by the way, we're going to be doing this. And I thought it was a really cool idea. I just couldn't. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, whether people. You didn't want to play for 11 yeah. days. <laughs> That's yeah. I, I love to do a lot of things that are crazy, but that I, I give those guys a ton of credit for what they ton. did. I mean, you know, to raise over a million dollars for cancer research. And then last year, I thought it was great that, that Mike and Amy Lesikowski uh, made it a community event. And so that you could skate for four hours um, and they raised over a million dollars again. So, you know, to, to maybe raise another million or, or even hopefully more than that for uh, the skaters. It'll be, I think, July 5th through the 15th or something like that. Um, they had to lower the, the amount of ice time you'd get because they had so much interest. It went from four hours. Now you skate for three. Mm-hmm. So people just want to be involved. And I think that that event itself sort of tells you what Buffalo and the community is like. And I think that transfers over to um, the journalism side as well. The Casanova girls raised a lot of money. Ken Lockwood. I, yes. I used to work with Ken at, at oh, Rich Ken's Products. Great guy. Yeah. 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 And, and the Mighty Pucks. Yes. Um, yeah. The, the, what they're raising is, is awesome. And, you know, I hope they, hope they uh, continue to be at the top of the list and I hope people can, can raise maybe not that much, but just continue to raise more money for, for cancer research and all that. I'll be around delivering Gatorade and uh, oranges. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm still on the mend. We'll talk about that later. Um, so baseball, mm-hmm. you also work post game hockey games. Yeah. At WGR at WGR. Mm-hmm. Oh, you poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wouldn't put it. Th- I wouldn't. St- no, no, you're yeah. lucky. You know what I, I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, but it's one of those things where, you know, you go into the season, you've got Rasmus Dahlin, you're thinking, all right, the Sabres might be able to put something together here. Just as long as they're in the conversation. That yes. to me was, to me was the goal this year. And I think, look, they were in the conversation for a while. It's, it's a matter of, it always will come back to me. If you had told me that their point total and, and where they were right about now, I'd say maybe that's where they should have been. Maybe Maybe the last month or so has been has been tough, but mm-hmm. it's how the Sabres got there. It's that 10-game winning streak that, you know, you get 20 points out of 20, and it's hard to not raise your expectation level a little bit. So, you know, to be sitting here now and, uh, look, selfishly, I would have loved to have been at, at the arena having to run from the ballpark in a 1 o'clock game yeah. and race down down the street, down Washington, and get in the arena <laughs> for a playoff game. That would be awesome. I think you're two years away from that still. I I, yeah. I, I think next year, um, here's my, my take on it. I, I'm a hockey guy. Uh, I don't want to blame Housley because I think Housley's being told who to play. You can't tell me that number, and I don't expect you to badmouth anybody or anything. You're a professional pet. But Phil Housley doesn't think number 17 is a good player. He doesn't. There's no way he doesn't fit here. But you have to justify the O'Reilly trade and then Thompson playing up. So there's a lot that the average fan that you probably have to deal with, as they call you, mm-hmm. doesn't realize that. That GMs, and you probably see it in baseball, they like their guys. They didn't, they didn't draft this guy. So I want to bring in guys that I drafted or I scouted when I was at Pittsburgh or mm-hmm. when Phil was with Nashville and things like that. And I, I think that's some of the, the – the little things that the average fan in Buffalo really misses. Yeah, I th- I think 
to to some extent, uh, I agree with you. I a person like uh, William or William, she's Alex Nylander mm-hmm. talked about William so much with his contract in Toronto this year. Yeah. Um, but Alex, like, I, I would have liked to have seen him maybe a little bit earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Just not not because um, you know I think the Sabers did anything wrong, but I, I just would like to see if he's ready. It's You're kind of like baseball. You bring the kids up. When right. the roster expands. I do think, you know, right. I think maybe the NHL needs to think about that a little bit. Yeah, and I, I do think to some extent you can bring a kid up too early and you can ruin a kid's confidence. Look, I've seen in baseball so many times where maybe a pitcher isn't ready for, for the bright lights of the big leagues. Uh, he goes up, gets shelled a couple of times, and then comes back and it's just is not the same guy anymore because, you know, his confidence is rocked. It's shot. And it, it can take so long. You would think, well, you know, he, he's good enough to be in the big leagues. He should just be able to go back and... and play to his level, but you know, there's a mental side of the game as well that, that I don't take for granted. And, um, you know, to, to translate it to hockey a little bit, you can bring a guy up that's not ready, or you can force players into the lineup that maybe are not in the right spot. And how many years do we sit here and say, man, this guy shouldn't be on the top line or, or why, why is this guy playing uh, on this line with this combination? It's because that's all they got. And unfortunately, you know, when a team doesn't have the right players or, or the, I'm not speaking for this general manager, but sure. you know, when a team is mismanaged and, and they don't have all the pieces they need, you've got players in the wrong spots. So I think, you know, you, if you sit back and you look at it that way, um, you know, sometimes it, it can answer why that, you know, team struggle or, or this guy's playing over that guy. And, and it's the politics of it too. Oh, at, sure. At times. I, I say to people all the time, the future's bright. But right now, we don't wear shades, just a hat. <laughs> the shades will come. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I know Jim really wants to get into this with somebody, and uh, you're the <laughs> oh, perfect person here. <laughs> I don't but, know if I'm you ready know, for this. You guys are talking about sports, and then you're getting to the real sports, the squared circle. Oh, the oh. squared circle. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, because I don't think either one of you would be behind the mic without maybe the old-time announcers. Well, well, there's a connection here, Marky, yeah. with uh, – minor league baseball the former voice of wcw and uh the current host of what's happening what happened when yeah. is tony shivani yeah and i've gotten to know tony a little bit over the last couple of years uh he, he's been awesome and um you know it's one of those things where he you know he, he was the guy in wcw so to see him in the broadcast booth you know just through a pane of glass i'm like well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we've talked a little bit, uh, you know, off the air about, you know, re- wrestling. And, and I think, honestly, like things like the WWE Network, and we talked about this, I remember a pregame interview once, the, the, the network now and the ability to go back and watch a lot of the old stuff has engaged a lot of former uh, people in wrestling. Now Tony's back involved. Right. And he, I think he did some MLW stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he does, he does that. He'll do some, uh, touring stuff with Conrad Thompson and he'll show up to, to events, but it's, it's stuff like that where, look, we were kids and we watched this stuff as kids. And now the guys that we grew up, you know, loving watching every Saturday morning or every Monday night, um, are, you know, available to, you know, go interview and go talk to or, or go go get their autograph, have a Q&A from. And I think that has really energized uh, a lot of people, and, and Tony included, to, to sort of get back involved was, look, I mean, you know, WCW ended the way it did. And, and I'm sure there are a lot of people who, um, you know, Tony definitely poured his life into into that and for it to end so quickly and so abruptly. And then he walked away. Yes. He went and he, he, he did does... a little bit of uh, uh, a TNA. Yes, right? yes. But it was... See, I did, I don't 
I never paid attention Me to TNA. Neither. So, but yeah, but you know, then he basically he's doing Georgia Bulldog stuff, um, and, and is working for for the Braves in, in, in Gwinnett. So, um, but really, the network got him back involved and back engaged, and fans really wanted to interact with him. I think that really energized him to 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 get back into wrestling. And and he is really taken off with his podcast. And then something happened last year that I really didn't like. Um, he he talks freely on mm-hmm. his podcast. You've listened to it. Everybody started sending the Braves letters to have him removed because of what he was saying on his podcast. That's a lot. A lot of that is happening in prof- professional yeah. broadcasting. I, I think it, it it can be a fine line, and, and I think you know it takes every situation's different. And if you know, for, for Tony's case, um, you know, for for being coming from the venue that he did. Look, actually, Tony was a. If you know this, but Tony actually started in baseball, right? And and so you know, he's he's one of those people that's always been involved in in sports, and you know, his career went into wrestling, and um, with social media, and um, you know, he he's taken it one way, and and I think he he does a great job with, with his promotion and stuff like that, but it can rub people the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, you you. you you can say things and, and you can try and, and make it so that you don't, um, you know, people can get into trouble saying the, the, um, I don't know, not meaning, to, you know, you're unintended kind of right, consequences. You're just joking around. Right. You're just talking. Yeah. The, com- the comedian's freedom, you know, yeah. like it's, it's losing. It, yeah. yeah. Well, I can tell you from my perspective though, like, so because I work at WGR and because, because I, uh, work on the radio. I, I, for myself personally, it's, it's one of the situations where I kind of hold myself to the standards of broadcasting on the radio. So that's why I, I don't swear on there. Oh, I, sure. I, I usually don't, I try not to retweet things that, that have, that, that I couldn't say on the radio, yeah. but that's, that's me. And for Tony, he's different. And I think yeah. everybody is different situations. And we say that's a lot of growing up in South Buffalo, like, because you're mostly held accountable for what mm-hmm. you say or what you do, Sure, absolutely. you know, so you're, you're not sliding around here. And I think that that's just kind of like a personality trait that we've all kind of gained. No doubt. You know, you, you see the, you're a wrestling guy. Mm-hmm. If any, hey, pal, you want to call a match? <laughs> if he ever called you, would you run? To- oh, yeah, I mean, I would love to get involved in some way. I mean, you know, I grew up on Mean Gene, uh, on Gorilla Monsoon. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I'll go back and watch um, the old prime times or even. They're great. Um, it's it's awesome. You Bobby know, the Brain Heaton was unbelievable. And the fact <laughs> that those guys just, to, to me, they didn't have a script, like, you know, Bobby would just go out and he'd say what he he felt from those matches or from from watching it. And to me, that like to me as a broadcaster, as someone who doesn't know what's going to happen for the next three hours in a baseball game, I just love that. And it's just free form. It's just free flowing. And and how well those guys played off each other. Like you know, that's what I grew up following, idolizing, wanting to be. And and I just thought it's great. And to look back on it now and and to see that. A lot of that still holds true. I mean, just it, it, it's to me, it's really cool. I've always wanted to be a sneaky manager. Some, <laughs> s- some say I am still. So you look at it, uh, and th- this is something that we talked about at breakfast today. Uh, you look at guys like Pat McAfee mm-hmm. getting into the broadcast game, these barstool guys. McAfee is actually signed with WWE, so right. he's been doing some broadcasting there. And then at the end of the football season, Green Bay and Detroit had a meaningless game. They brought McAfee in. I watched the game. It was so entertaining. Is this going to happen little by little in broadcasting, you think? I think with social media and with other venues, I think that that can definitely happen. I think you're still restricted 
by like the, language the decency yeah, yeah like the decency standard so you you won't necessarily see you know uh, unfiltered broadcast but maybe you you take that too um, you know, if, if Barstool were to partner with a, a league like the NFL, I know that's probably not possible right now. Maybe the XFL. Right. Yeah. But things like that where I, I thought the XFL did a lot of great things in sports when it was there for just one year. I mean, mm-hmm. we're still seeing a lot of it today with like you know, the sky cam and, and getting yeah. in the huddle and things like that. So maybe next year Vince brings in Pat McAfee and, you know, they have. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and you can you if you want to watch the straight-laced regular broadcast with a, a play-by-play guy and a color guy who just do the regular broadcast, that's cool. But if you want something a little more edgy or, or, or more, you know, R-rated, and it's, you know, it's on their network where you pay for it so – they're giving it to you, and, and, and you want that. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think you know that's that's one of the things that has drawn people to to the satellite radio is yeah. you know that that unfiltered mm-hmm. uh, the ability to hear things without um, you know some of the standards. Um, and I, I definitely see that a way for a, a league to maybe pick up where other leagues can't can't right now. What do you think of Barstool? I like it. Um, me and a group of guys. I mean, we love the pizza reviews. I mean, that, those are some of the. You know, I got things. a gripe about those too. You know, because I look at pizza and I think it's like how somebody goes to New York and they make their buck, and then you got these kids going around trashing their product, right? You know, and it's like, oh, I went on this thing and now I'm not going to this place, and like that's all they have. It's it's. It, I don't want to say it's peasant food. It's like it's supposed to be affordable, and now you're shitting on it. And yeah, you know, and and I guess like you know you have that they have they have the pulpit. So if, if they don't like something, it, it can it can ruin ruin uh, yeah. you know a, a place. Do you ever hear the self awful story with El Presidente? I've watched the video. Uh-huh. I've seen the review. Oh, a review or when he was at the stadium? Oh, oh at the stadium. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. seen. I've yeah. He's lucky he got out of here alive. <laughs> if there's two or three different people at that yeah. tailgate, they do, when you listen back, we ain't you're talking like, about him. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I'd give him a piece of my mind. I, I respect him as what he's doing. He's building a, I mean, a multi-billion dollar. Like a platform. He's making a stage for. Yeah. yeah. I think what they did well is they saw the niche. And they yeah. saw that there was a need and a want for their type of, of product. And, again, it's not for everybody. There are certain things about it that that I don't that I, if I see certain content, I'm, I'm not going to watch it cause it's not my thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay. Yeah. But there are parts of it where, where I do enjoy it. And, and I think now with you, you add in the fact that gambling is not as such a dirty topic anymore right. as it used to be. Um, and, and they're trying to find the niche there. I mean, there's a lot of things that now, now as we, you know, as a society, we've decided things are okay or things aren't okay. Um, they've sort of taken some of those and figured out ways to yeah. uh, capitalize on them. So, I mean, you know, not think again, goes back to, uh, you know, talking about things that are not for everybody. Some, some people are going to enjoy that type of stuff. There's aspects of it. I really enjoy. I think, uh, what you'll see there is someone's going to take him down internally i think he's he's stu- he, maybe he isn't stupid to get caught up in yeah some, I, I think that a lot of sponsors are backing say. out a lot of times too you know or like people are pitting things against them i think they're the little guy and that's what i like because i'm not i'm not really a fan that they're like boston guys and yeah you know can you imagine <laughs> like in seven years like some eight-year-old right now what a twerp he's gonna be from like just all <laughs> these you know what i mean like just such a privileged twerp he's gonna be like yeah just championships Yo, it's it's gonna be so bad. It's gonna be so bad. These kids when they grow up, and I 
I pray to God that they get a quarterback because there might be a mental health issue in <laughs> Boston in a few years. So, <laughs> so we're going to get to broadcasters, mm-hmm. your favorite broadcasters. My favorite broadcaster, my top three would be Vince Scully, baseball we're talking, mm-hmm. Jack Buck, Jack Buck, not Joe Buck, and Bob Costas. Then after that, I think there's a drop off. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I think those three are, you know, three that we grew up on. I mean, I, I still, I, I one of my first memories I think is the '89 World Series. So I, I still do remember a lot of the Minnesota. Oldest, no, that was the one in uh, between Oakland and San Francisco with the earthquake. Okay. So, but so I grew up. I'm I'm an A's fan because days were really good. You know, we don't have a big league team here, so. Mm-hmm. Used to see them on Saturday afternoon baseball every week, or it seemed like I'd see them on every Saturday. So I grew up an A's fan, a Bash Brothers fan, and you know to see the Kirk Gibson call, Vince Scully does a great job with that. But I just showed it to Marky, <laughs> yeah. tears in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those things where you know that 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 play sort of broke my heart as a as a four year old kid. Um, but you know he he's a great broadcaster, and I think nowadays. Um, one of the ones that I really enjoy watching the most and, and listening to the most is Gary Cohn oh, with yeah. the with the Mets. Yeah. I think what Gary, Keith, and Ron do in a booth, I think a three-man booth is extremely hard to pull off. Uh, it's done a lot, but done well can, can be a different story. And I think what they do on a nightly basis to make 162 games fun and exciting, and you've got the straight and narrow guy in Keith, You've got Ron, who can bring a, a lot of you know the pitching side of it, the analytical Darling's side. Great. Yeah, and then you add in you know Keith, where he'll just say what he wants and say what he feels, yeah. and and all three of them know each other so well and play off each other so well. So I think for Gary to be able to harness all of that energy, I think he is uh, to me that's that's somebody I really enjoy watching. He's bounced around too. He was with the O's for a little while. And he did great when the NHL was on NBC or uh, ESPN. You're thinking of? Uh, oh, I'm thinking of Gary Thorne. Gary Thorne, yes. Oh, yes. yes he was right. with the Mets on the radio side okay, for a long time. That's what yes. I'm thinking. You're right, yeah. right. I love Gary Thorne. Not an. And the other guy I like is uh, the radio and TV. He only does half of them. Um, Charlie. Charlie Steiner. Charlie Steiner. For the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. I love him. He was great on ESPN. All those guys back when we were kids. My you know? favorite commercial for, for ESPN when they did those commercials with their Y2K preparations. Oh, and yeah. then at the end of the commercial, <laughs> you got Charlie with the tie on the top of his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's like chaos in the newsroom. I just love that commercial. So, like, you got all these professionals. Now, like, you're treated as a professional, mm-hmm. right? You travel with the team. How yeah. does How is that, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a privilege. I mean, it's something that, that I you know, talk about not taking the broadcast for granted. Look, I, I have the, the ability to be on the road, and, you know, I, we travel on the team buses, and, and when the team flies, I, you know, I'm on those flights. So it's something where, you know, it's it's a privilege to be in, to be in that atmosphere, and, and it's something that you got to take and, you know, you, you can't um, – you can't abuse it, I guess, is the, is the way to put it. So um, I, I do – it can be a grind at times, um, you know, when you've got a, a 6 o'clock game or a 7 o'clock game in Pawtucket and you're busing home after the game and you get home at 7 or 8 a.m. Like, I, I knew what I was getting into, so it's not like, <laughs> yeah. you know, don't don't shed a tear for me, but it, it can be a grind at times. Yeah, they, all the boys can listen on the podcast when you guys go on the road mm-hmm. uh, to Indianapolis on the 11th. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Now, what's the best town in, in, in the minors right now, for you guys at least, oh, for your division? That's In our division, I I love going to Pawtucket. 
Um, yeah. There's we used to stay in Providence, which was a little bit of a hike. It's about 15, 20 minute ride. But downtown Providence, you've got, you know, you've got Brown University. You've got a lot of of different uh, diverse and mix of uh, of atmosphere in there in a in small city. But you know, I like I just like Pawtucket. I can walk around. You can go uh, and go have breakfast at a diner that that I've been to before and. Really, I, you can find something in every city. I'm, and that's one of the nice things I think about baseball. It's just, I don't mean this to be a cop-out, but you know, you're in a city for four or five days at a time, three, four days at a time. You, you, have, you have to be able to find something. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so like, you know, even when people would come to Buffalo and uh, before you had Canal Side and you had uh, a lot of stuff going on, there was, you'd always be able to find something. So I'd always, you know, guys would ask me where, where to go for, for lunch or for dinner, and I'd give them these spots. And the same thing goes for when we're on the road. You know, if, if I'm if if I'm going to Pawtucket and I don't feel like, hey, I don't want to I don't want to go to the same spot after the game tonight. Where's another good spot to go? The guys in the broadcast booth will, will give me a good spot, and you know, we'll go have pizza after a game sometimes. And you can always find a, a spot in every city. You're there long enough. If you're not, if you don't find something, you're really not trying. And, and speaking of that, I've been known to go to a bar or two. Worked in one for 20 years. I really have never run into a bison. Okay. I partied with Sabres. I really partied with Buffalo Bills. Retired Buffalo Bills. But I have not, the one time Michael Lewis used to work at the Adams Mark, and they all used to hang out there. And I kind of looked around and go, this is where the Bisons go? They go to the Adams Mark bar? So I honestly don't have a good answer for you. So uh, raw talent-wise, mm-hmm. what is the game you need to see the Bisons play? Like if, if around the league, if uh, if you know if there's a game that you want to see at home with the best talent in minor league baseball, I mean I think it's probably against Scranton, yeah, the, the Yankees affiliate. I think what they've done with their minor league system and they've they've rebuilt their minors and we've seen that the last couple of years. You know, and it's funny. Aaron Judge is a great player. He was the third or fourth best prospect. Now, like he almost was an afterthought a couple of years ago because guys like Gary Sanchez were were in Scranton or Greg Bird before Sheffield, right? Justice Sheffield was there last year. Glaber Torres, um, Clint Frazier. They've got so many names and so many. They've built up their minor league system to a point where they just consistently turn out guys, you know, year after year now. So if you want to talk about just talent against talent, um, I think those the Bisons in in Scranton Wilkesbury have probably the two best. Uh, talent pool so you know maybe it's the home opener in april maybe it's not until until may you come out to to a game when it's a little bit warmer or, or june or whenever whenever scranton's in town this year but i think anytime you see scranton um it definitely be a case where you'll see a lot of talent on the field well i'll be at star wars night i'm gonna try to make the opener okay and then i'm definitely going so you can get me a picture with tony shivani <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the Gibson call, mm-hmm. Mookie. I, I I tell everybody all the time, it's not by the by Buckner over the bag. That's not the call. The call is that whole inning leading up to the pass ball, and then Mookie still has to hit a base hit, mm-hmm. and then Knight has to score. I tell everyone to read or uh, check that out, the Gibson, and then the other one. And I want to hear your opinion on this. Cal Ripken, when he breaks the record, mm-hmm. listen to it. Berman does the game because it's like Thursday night ESPN baseball, mm-hmm. and he doesn't say a word. 
to is, me, that's the best. Isn't that the best? I know yeah. you said it about the homers. Yeah, and and I honestly think I we'll, we'll disagree on Joe Buck. I think Joe. I, I to me, he you is. Like I, I uh, he's my gold standard. Really. And and I I look at the 2016 uh, playoffs when it, Fox had the the NL side, and then they did the World Series, and when when he lets the Cub fans. Just, you know, the Cubs make the final out. They're going to the World Series. And I don't know if I hear Joe Buck talk for another two and a half minutes. You're right about that. And, and, and look, it, it took a, a certain point for him to, it took a while for him to get to that point. I think he's even talked about how he sort of loved, lost his love for baseball or, or for broadcasting. But then when he had his vocal cord issues, he really refound himself. And I think a lot of guys can relate to that where, you know, you do something for so long, you can almost take it for granted. And, and um, I hope to not get to that point. But, you know, I think it's natural uh, that those things happen. But, you know, to, to have that call or um, in the 2011 World Series when David Freeze hits the home run in game six and, and a tribute to his, his dad, Jack, you know, we'll yeah. see you tomorrow night. Yeah, and that, that's one of the best calls in Minnesota with the Kirby Puckett hole. Right. Run. Yeah. So things like that where I just I really appreciate the, the, the ability to understand the situation. And, look, not every situation calls for you sitting out and laying out for two and a half minutes or a minute or whatever. But I feel like Joe can read the situation really well and I think because of that um, he, he lets the situation uh, tell the story and, and a lot of the emotion and, and that's what to me makes him the best yeah I hope you call a hundred of those dingers this year <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> I think maybe with Buck he lost some people on the David Tyree catch mm-hmm. and you know what how the hell and I'm going to defend him on this you didn't think he was going to catch that. It, so that's just natural. Sometimes you got to respect that as a fan, you guys getting like, you're watching it too. Right. And and look, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're, we're as prepared as we can be. But if a guy hits the ball off the top of the scoreboard at the ballpark, that's something I've never seen before. <laughs> so I'm going to be surprised. I'm going to yeah. be shocked that a guy yeah. just hit the ball 700 feet. Like you know, those. And I think that raw emotion and, 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 Things like that where you just you sound as if you're just one of everybody else. I think that can really make your broadcast that much better. And look, that David Tyree play was 10 years ago. Right. I mean, he learned from it. Right. Things happen and you evolve over time. And I think you know if you just hold one single situation and never change your opinion or or, or have the open mindedness to, to to consider that they've people have gotten better, then I think, you know, I, I think you're doing that person a disservice. It also has to do with the guy he sits next to, too, with me. Troy Aikman? <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other story. So let's talk about baseball. Mm-hmm. I always say to people, people think, oh, you're a hockey guy. I'm a bigger baseball fan. Okay. Because I think baseball is kind of, and we're, we might lose that in a couple of years, the only pure game left that there wasn't all these rule changes. I get the uh, screens for the fans. Get it. I get the DH, but the replay. Yeah, I I, I don't know, Pat. I, I think we're we're to a point where replay has kind of ruined our ability to watch and pay attention to sports in general. I think yeah. every sport we've gotten to that point where whether you want to talk about the the replay system in the NHL where a coach can challenge. I feel like we're to the point where, and it's not necessarily the fault of the referees; it's the fault of the system we have in place where we now. Everything gets officiated so that there can be a review. Right. And I, I think to get to that point, it, it just it, it takes away from a lot of a lot of what we enjoy about sports. I like to yell at an umpire. The, the human I, element. I love the human element. And you know what? 
I mean, I always say look at the video when the guy blew the no-header. The guy with the mustache, the umpire. I forget what his name yeah, was. Yeah, Jim Joyce was the umpire, and it was uh, Armando Galarraga. The it, perfect, perfect game, yeah. And he, you know, he he's crying. Right, after the and game. he knew he made a mistake. Yeah, but I thought that, that I love to see that, mm-hmm. the human element. And now you got replay in baseball. Hate it. You have, they're talking about testing out computer umps next year in A-ball? Is this? In, independent baseball. Independent baseball, okay. And then... I don't really mind the shift, but come on. Don't it, put half your team on a, the right side, you I, know? I think it's a, it's an interesting argument to have or debate to have because, yes, I, I do understand if you want to beat the shift, then either bunt or, or hit away from it. Yeah. But you're also talking about guys that for their entire lives, not just their careers, their lives, they've, they've been taught one way. Now to expect somebody at the age of even 25, 30 years old, to reinvent themselves after 15 years potentially of playing the game one way. We're not to the point where um, you can just say, oh, it should be easy. Change change your swing. Change the ability to... I don't think we're to that point in sports yet. So we've seen so many times where sports have legislated uh, to help the players and further the game along. So to me, I, I like a lot of what Rob Manfred Jr. has done. And if, if we get to the point where shifting is either outlawed or, or modified or you have to keep two guys on each side of the infield and they have to stay on the dirt portion, you know, whatever that is, I, I'll be open to it because I do think uh, we're just not to the point yet where uh, the players can sort of meet it out themselves. And at, we've seen throughout the course of history where sports have helped the players or helped the game along so that it can evolve to a point where People can stay involved. People can stay interested, and um, people players get better. Well, I'll, I'll say this about basketball. I, I love college basketball, but the fact that now you know you can review under a certain time, under a certain amount of time, you can start reviewing whether or not the ball got touched. You know, by if you made the right call with the ball being going out of bounds and stuff. I think we're to the point in sports where you know if if we just take a step back and we just yes, mistakes are going to happen, and we all want to get every call right. It's not that an umpire goes out of his way to blow a call. I think that's the goal is always to get everything right, but mistakes happen and. If something is blatant as Armando Galarraga, yeah, we should point it out. But does that mean we need to change the whole thing? Add, right. Add yeah. in add in replay review for, for everything. And I, I think the answer is no. And I really don't think they enforce the pitch. I've seen that pitch uh, where they have to the pitch, pitch clock. Yeah. The pitch clock. I've seen that thing run out countless times. And, That's just stupid. And it has it has helped our league speed it up yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And and I I like the intent of it. I guess. Yeah. Um. I remember you know it's been probably five or six years now that it's been been involved in our game. And and when I first heard about it, I was interested in in hearing again talk about you know changing habits and changing the way people play the game. All right. Well, if if minor league games are lasting more than three hours, is there a way to maybe help them along? And it doesn't really impede the progress. You know, it, it doesn't hamper a pitcher's ability to pitch. And I don't think it does, or a hitter's ability to to disrupt the timing because baseball is so much about timing between you know a pitcher and a batter. As long as it doesn't um, totally alter the way that those two positions have to play, I think its intent is there. Um, and at the minor league level, I think it's good. Does it translate to the big leagues? I don't think so. And I think that's why we've only seen the in between innings clock. And yeah, you know, does do we hold that accountable? And does that extra 25 seconds coming off the clock and now you've only got two minutes in between innings because pitchers don't take the entire time. Yeah. Do we, if we enforce that two minute clock, 
does that speed up the game by five or six minutes? And five or six minutes might not seem like a lot, but tell that to somebody who's sitting there for three hours over the course of 81 home games or 162 games. Now you're talking about back to two hours and 45 minutes and extra 15 minutes add up every night. Yeah, it's a lot of time at the buffet. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. So you you don't want a pitch clock, so you yeah, can be there for like yeah. The they bring Halliday back, and then my buffet's shot. You know yeah. what I mean? You used to be able to ride up to Toronto, see a game, get home before you know midnight. Yeah, you know he was just that good. You know you guys would love that. Yeah, we got a buffet. Come over here for two hours. <laughs> this guy's gonna pitch the lights out. <laughs> now, are you brushed up on the new rules uh, with the minimum? batters that these well, specialists this, have to pitch this is just in major leagues right yeah well there's there's new rules that they're gonna be they're gonna be phased in over the next two years and, and off the top of my head i can't remember which ones are, are this year which ones aren't um but uh you know things like the injury list is not the disabled list anymore it's the injured list uh that goes back to 15 days next season um next year i think it's also a done deal that it'll be 26 players on a major league roster not 25 anymore but then in september they're getting rid of the unlimited call-ups. You can't just call up everybody after 40-man roster. The rosters only expand to 28 players. So while the ability to add anybody is is gone, uh, the fact that you now have one more rostered player uh, on the on the roster all year long was was something that part of the give and take. So um, in the minors situational pitching does not happen very often. No. Um, especially early in the year, you might see it late in the season if if uh, teams want or organizations want certain pitchers to pitch in certain situations, but it's something that I'm okay with because we're not going to see it that often mm-hmm. in the big leagues. I, and, and this is another case where, you know, if games are running too long, um, is, is this something that is going to hurt the ability of a team um, to win a game? I, I don't know if we, if we know that answer yet. Well, you look at Jeff Nelson. Mm-hmm. Would Jeff Nelson be able to, would he be a major league baseball player if he came up? in three years because Nelson would come in he'd pitch to somebody mm-hmm. Mike Stanton would pitch and then Wetland would pitch to another guy and then Rivera would close out the ninth you know that's the yeah. way I was brought up and it seems like Major League Baseball wants to get rid of these matchups and I'm not saying that's that's wrong what what he was what his jo- job and role was in the big leagues but now have we evolved as a game and I think it's it's okay to say maybe we've evolved to the point where yeah you should ha- you should uh, we're, we're to the point where the situations and maybe it's the September call-ups where games are lasting three and a half hours yeah. all month of September because you've got thirteen pitchers in the bullpen and you can go one 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 oh, yeah. so you know maybe that's part of it too but you know are we to a point where there's too much situational matchups in and we're to the point where this is a point where the leagues are, the league decide you know what. We've gotten out of control with this, and we we need to find a, a happy medium. So, we, you know, we're not going to leave a guy out there if he's injured. If there's an injury, he comes out of the game. But, you know, to keep people involved and to keep keep the game moving, uh, is it a good thing that, that it's going to be facing at least three batters? I don't know. I don't know that it, there is a yes or no answer yeah. to this point. Analytics, Marky. Yeah, They're huge. dangerous. I know. The one thing they do need to shorten up is that WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, eight damn hours, right? It's gonna be seven hours. Uh, hey, if, if and you're you, gonna love every minute, are you? Well, we've we've got a game that Sunday, so I'll probably Uh-oh. I'll I'll What's probably the miss date? the pre-show. It's, uh, it's Sunday the eighth, right? Or Sunday the the sixth, maybe April sixth. April seventh. Seventh Sunday. All so. right, so we're gonna have to tell Scranton. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and now get a bat in his hand. Get yeah. him up to the plate. 
and no anybody wants a strike. To, yeah. And if anybody wants to throw a buffet for that seven and a half hours, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. It'd be out of business. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't talk about baseball without talking about steroids. Mm-hmm. Are these guys going to get in? I look at everybody's lovey-dovey with A-Rod. Oh, A-Rod's getting married to J-Lo. A-Rod's do, he whoever his publicist is, is doing a damn good job because I think this is going to get him in the Hall of Fame. These guys are going to go in. I really want to – I talked to some former players about it. I, th- I really think the steroid era should be decided by the Veterans Committee, mm-hmm. the Hall of Famers that there are now. And if they say yes, then they're Hall of Famers. If they say no – then they're not. I mean, to me, what better way to judge that era of baseball than by their peers? Right. And, you know, if Joe Morgan's been outspoken, and he does not believe the steroid-era players belong in the Hall of Fame. That's his opinion. There are other Hall of Famers that I'm sure believe that they belong in for, for, for their reasons. So let's let the, the Veterans Committee and the guys that are in the Hall of Fame decide that. Um, for me... I say yes. I say yes too, Mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I, I I've I've talked to many players who former players who have said no, and I I respect their opinion and I understand where they come from because maybe their career was cut out from underneath them because of yeah. guys using illegal substances to either get themselves back on the field faster or keep their bodies in great shape. And you know I I I don't begrudge a player who says a guy cheated cheat me out of a job and and i don't think think they're hall of famers i i respect that i understand that uh, that opinion i think the guys the group of guys that were kind of honest when they got caught i you know like uh palmero maybe palmero doesn't get in because you sat there and lied to congress for christ's sake. well yeah i mean mark mcguire is a, someone who i grew up as a, a fan of the bash boys i mean he was someone i looked up to and he's I think he's paying the price for yeah. what what he didn't say in front of Congress, mm-hmm. and um, you know, unfortunately, look that I think that's an example where what what would his peers say? What what would the Hall of Famers and the Veterans Committee say if he came up for a vote? And if they said no, I would respect their their opinion. If they said yes, okay, Th- these are the guys that played the game, they lived the game, and their opinion is the one I res- I, I not that I don't respect the, the baseball writers' opinions, but I think. The players are the ones, if we want to truly decide what to do with that era of baseball, are the guys that that, that know the best. <laughs> the thing I'll say about the steroid era is I, I don't think it's as, as black and white as a guy took steroids, he's ineligible for the Hall of Fame or he's ineligible to— I agree. I think, you know, yes, it's it's a federal—it was a federal crime. It's been a federal crime to, to, to have steroids, to take steroids, to buy them. But baseball didn't— have a way to test for it for whatever mm-hmm. for whatever reason until what 2002 yeah so it's it's a gray area for for a long time and it saved the game it did mcguire sosa saved the game mm-hmm. we baseball right. was going down a lonely road it, you're coming off a strike where yep. you need fans to come back and, and that's one way that the game was saved there's no doubt yeah we talk about how like you know you have a kid throw you a ball these days and and they can't a lot of kids don't play baseball mm-hmm. and you know and it and it's terrible just you just tell, you know, it's like you, they just lost that little skill, you know, you, and you just know what kind of athlete they're going to be after that. It's it's funny. We were we were talking the other day uh, and he, he said that. And I said, that's funny you say that because I had two kids that I was going to cut in the early 2000s. One was going to make the team. One was. OK. So I said, go in there and throw him a jersey and then ask him to throw it back to you. <laughs> no, no, no. Switch it. You got to wear this one. 
And the one kid, when he threw it, <laughs> I knew. <laughs> He wasn't out of the You gotta team. play baseball oh. when you're a kid. You got if you can't throw a baseball, <laughs> I don't even know if I want to talk to you. But now that happens all the time, Pat. Yeah. Guys like us, they don't make us anymore. Well, and, and I think that's why, you know, if Kyler Murray had stuck with baseball, that why that's why it would have been so important yep. for the sport. And that's why they were talking about different ways to make sure that, you know, they they'd be the A's would be able to 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 have him on their forty man roster or whatever. Because you have a player who's the best player in college football, you know, he wins the Heisman trophies. He's one of the best players and he's already, uh, already drafted by the A's already committed to playing baseball. And you've got him in your sport and your ability to now get people that might not have thought about baseball involved in the game again. I thought that's why I was, I was rooting for, for Carla Murray to choose baseball. So was I, and, and you know, I wish he would have, um, he's I don't, gonna, I don't think that's the end there, Pat. I think we may see someone in his ear going, you ever see Bo Jackson? You know, and the A's might be the perfect team to do it with, with the way their money ball system, mm-hmm. and they're still doing that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Bean's still there? Oh, yeah. 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 He's not the GM, but he's like the president of the team. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a smaller market, so they have to find ways. And if, if it's a case where, look, and also, too, what, where does he go in the draft? Yeah, what, is he going to go play for Arizona? Give me the fucking <laughs> break, Ricky. So... Got April 4th, the home opener against Scranton Wilkesbury. That is the Yankees affiliate. Stop out to the ballpark. We gotta sell out a lot of games this year for the Bison Sparky. They they really got a team. I my suggestion is see them early because yeah. you don't know how long they're gonna be there. If the Jays catch fire, they might bring them up. Or later in the year, the Jays aren't having a good year. Maybe they bring him up to see how he reacts to the big leagues. My opinion, I think we will see Vladimir Guerrero leave the 23rd of June. It's a long homestand. He'll rehab in Florida when you guys are on the road in Syracuse and Louisville. I think he'll play the first three weeks of June, and then he's gone. That's just me. <laughs> well, even if it's one homestand, I, I hope it's it's a great homestand. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it, uh, I hope we see him again this year. And, you know, I, d- I do think you're right, though, it, where come out early. That way, you know, you're you're getting when the roster's set in the next week or so, you know that certain players are going to be on the team. And you never know. Trades, uh, team doing well, team not doing well. That that affects who gets called up and when they get called up. So you just there's no guarantees past maybe the first month or so. Well, I'll be in the corner keeping score. Mark, you'll be at the buffet. Yeah. <laughs> Pat will be up in the booth. Listen yeah. to him on uh, 1520. ESPN 1520. And then GR after the Sabres game. Pat Melcaro, you are now licensed to talk, brother. Thanks, guys. Thank a lot you. Of fun. Yeah, thank you. Even though you're purple eagle. <laughs>
is Ben, Licensed Talk. Find our most recent episode on our website at www.jcislt.com.